We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Mike Anthony, a guy that's been covering uh, UConn athletics for, uh, I don't want to date you too much, Mike, but uh, about about 20 years or so, we'll just call it, we'll ballpark it. He's a yep. reporter for Hearst Media Group in Connecticut right now. Um, and you don't just cover UConn men's team, you cover UConn men's, UConn women's. Uh, you got some stuff up on Sacred Heart, my guy Nico Gallet, uh in the last week or two. So um, if you yeah. are a UConn, uh, a Connecticut sports fan, you got to make sure you go and follow Mike. Mike, appreciate you being here, man. Great to be here, Rob. What's up, buddy? Not too much. So I, I got you on here because I want to talk with you about the uh, the feature that you wrote on Donovan Klingon, which I believe came out uh, last Monday. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I read it. I read it at some point last week. Um, it's long. Uh, I'm sure that you uh, put a lot of time and effort into that, knowing how long that it was. Um, so I want to I want to talk about that specifically. But before we get into the whole story and the process of it, are you buying this narrative that he grew an inch this summer? Like, is this is this true? Because they keep pushing it, man. They keep saying he's seven three, seven four. Is he going to be seven seven by the time he's twenty two years old? What's oh, happening? Yeah, I, I guess I guess he's on pace to be. Um, yeah, I, I buy into it. I just don't know how exact, like to the millimeter, all these measurements are. You know what I mean? Like, like there's no way that he is seven three on the dot. Like, is he a couple millimeters under, even over? Who knows? Um, but he's closer uh, for sure to the seven three line than he is the seven two line. He'll he'll re- he'll continue at least by a recent measurement. You know, like yeah. Hashim Tabit was seven three. Uh, listed as seven three in college, that, then a, the combine he actually measured at seven one and a half, uh, or something like that. So who knows? I mean, it depends on the day, posture, tape measure, setting. Uh, you know, uh, exactly <laughs> to the shoes he's how tall someone is, but he's he's more of a seven three dude than a seven seven two dude, from what I understand. <laughs> it's just, he's it's, tall it's, enough. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to me. What's the difference when you get to seven three and seven foot two? Um, I also love. I don't know if you noticed this, but I was uh, I was making fun of the Marquette guys at Big East Media Day because every single player that returned on Marquette's roster grew an inch last season. If you look at where they were listed last year versus where they're listed this year. That's um, funny. All right, so the Klingon story. I'm going to link the story in the uh, in the description below on YouTube and in the podcast feeds. But um, I love the detail that you went into on, on this for a number of reasons, but I was explaining to you before we recorded it, his childhood and the way that you described him in his hometown reminds me so much of the town that I grew up in. You know, everybody's got their 
favorite sandwich shop. Everyone's got their friend that's got a boat that you can go fishing on. Everyone's got their favorite little, uh, their parks and fishing holes at home. So, um, just kind of talk me through a little bit, like the, the process of putting that together and, and, and why that was the angle that you chose for this story. Yeah. Well, it was, it's a complicated and fascinating topic to, to jump into, right? Because his fame is so multi-layered in this state. You know, everyone knew who he was well before he got to Yukon. Um, he, through all the trials and tribulations of a pandemic, uh, had this prolific success at Bristol Central, seven foot whatever at the time and, and growing rapidly, fight, wins a state championship as a senior, develops some level of fame. Then you get to know, uh, even a little bit prior to that, you get to know about his family history and, and what his family's been through and how they've lost his mother uh, after a, a long battle with cancer and, and you start to think about how challenging that was for him to have lost his mom, who was also a standout basketball player, by the way, uh, as like a 15 year old kid. Um, and he had like a bevy of options along the way too to go to different prep school schools. He's entering this stratosphere, this different level of, of recruiting and he decides to stay at the big public high school and then he's at the big public university. So while when I set out to write something on him for Connecticut Magazine, a lot of what I had to consider is like, all right, well, what am I, what am I trying to explain here? And a big portion of the thought process is, well, you got to ex explain who he is, which, which means explaining everything he's become and everything he's been through. But to me, you had to find the right entry point and, um, and, and hone in on something pretty specific, particularly at the top of the story, which to me was how much his life has changed yet again in the wake of his success at UConn and as a national champion uh, and as the local star in the era of NIL. So um, the first portion of that story, as anyone who has read it knows, is uh, just an exploration of what life is like for these guys. And it's chaotic. Um, it's lucrative, but it's chaotic. And there were points during the offseason where Donovan had to remind himself and ask for some guidance from Hurley and others in his life, like, hey, I'm not where I want to be basketball wise yet uh, he told his agent like we got to turn down some nil stuff or have a have a cap on some stuff um i gotta keep the main thing the main thing the saying goes and that's kind of what he tried to remind himself to live by um, but that was really the goal to dive into what's become of his life and that enabled me to kind of go back and describe his whole life which which is really fascinating for, um, for what he's been through you know uh, it, it's really interesting to see how he is still just like a small town kid, right? He's still just a Bristol kid who just happens to be seven foot three and uh, yeah. one of the best defenders in college basketball. How much did you get a chance to just kind of hang out in Bristol and and talk to people and, and see how he <clears throat> is viewed in that community? Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Bristol. Um, not a lot of time with Donovan, though. And what? so that was actually, I'll tell you, as part of the process, like, a frustration on my end um, trying to spend the appropriate amount of time with Donovan. But I'll tell you also that frustration ultimately became valuable and rewarding to the process for reasons I, I hit on earlier and that I'm trying to explain how crazy this kid's life is. So when I was first asked to write this story, it was back in April and I was at the NFL draft in Kansas city. And, um, they said because it's the November issue, it prints in October. Um, 
or excuse me, goes on news, newsstands in, in October. So it prints in September and they need it by the end of August. Now, this was back in April. I'm like, oh, I have all the time in the world for this. I've known Donovan for several, several years. I know his father for just as long and I know his father even better. Um, so I said, this is this is easy, you know, because I know these people and I know a lot of people around Donovan in the Bristol community. Um, so I said, I'll, I'll knock this out by by June or July. Give everyone plenty of time to to uh, take a look at it and have it sit around and, and marinate and, and get ready to, to push it out there. But I called Bill Klingen, his father from the Kansas City airport on uh, in that final week of April, right as I was leaving the NFL draft, I was like, "Hey, I know you know this summer's going to get away from us pretty quickly. The team's going to Europe. Donovan's, Donovan's going to have summer session. I'm sure he's zigzagging the state for NIL stuff. Uh, let's find some time in May to get together, me, you, and your son. You know, and and they were very agreeable. But it just never came together. And then it became June and July and August. And I didn't meet with Donovan until towards the end of August, when, from my perspective, it was a little bit of panic time, uh, mm-hmm. as I was telling him and others around him. Um, but again, there was some value in that in understanding what had become of his life. And there was some value in that in exploring his life through the perspective of others who really care about him so much and really know him so well. People in the Bristol Central community um, spent spent plenty of time with his father, uh, a lot of time with his high school coach and assistant principal there and a principal. Ultimately, I talked to 15 people for the story. I think there was only like six or seven people quoted in the story, but I had hours and hours and hours of interview time and uh, conversational time with people that were really central to to the effort. Yeah, and I bet you're so happy that you spent all of those hours transcribing every single word that they said and, and listening <laughs> yeah. back to all of those. It's always fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and again, it was interesting, like having spoken to Donovan as he was one of the last people I actually spoke to, perhaps the last person I spoke to in the process. And I didn't, I hadn't gotten very far ahead in the writing process because I'm not one of those guys who can say, um, you know, I'll push back what the entry point's going to be till later and I'll just start writing what I know is going to be some of the meat and potatoes of the story. Like I can't start in the middle and then go back to the top. I have to just write and have it come out of me. Um, so to have Donovan, to speak to Donovan last, which was which I really appreciated, don't get me wrong, uh, was a little bit of a challenge in those final weeks because then I had all this writing to do and, and hours and hours and hours of conversation either transcribed or in my mind or on tape. So how how was he when you got a chance to to get with him? Because I, one right. thing that I noticed when I was up there is that um, if you're just having a, sitting there having a conversation with him, talking with him, um, he's very loose. He's uh, he he has a sense of humor. He's uh, yeah he he enjoys the occasional uh, uh, f bomb. Um, I think that he gets that from his coach. Uh, but when we got him on camera to record the podcast, it was a little bit more. Um, he was a little tighter. Like it was, he wasn't quite as loose. Well, how was he when you were dealing with him? He he was great. He really was. He's always been great with me. He's also uh, a guy who's gotten used to public life and has become mm-hmm. increasingly comfortable. I think uh, being interviewed and even and in, in group settings, you can see it. He's kind of just knows what he's doing now when he gets in, in front of a group. But um, I found him to be, as I always have, really conversational. And he and I were talking in a pretty relaxed environment. We were in uh, like an office or a classroom at, at Bristol Central. And um, even though I can't pretend to have spent a lot of time with him over the years uh, or, you know, spent a lot of like personal time with him, I've certainly known him for a long time. And I think he has known at least who I am and, and what I'm about uh, and has trusted me for a while. So, I, look, I think... You hit on, on a few things like he, he's a funny guy. Um, 
he's a he's a down to earth dude. Uh, he he's for all his nervous restlessness because there is that aspect to his personality. He you can never pin him down, which I spoke to, and um, he doesn't sleep well. He's up at all hours of the night, but he's a pretty go easy going guy. Um, he's not too high strung. People say he's much like his mother was personality wise, whereas his little sister Olivia is a little more like Bill, who's a little more reactive. Um, so that's what I came to know about and what I appreciate, appreciate about him. I'll tell you, he's just, he is a likable kid. Mm -hmm. He very much hasn't lost that, uh, all the NIL stuff and winning a title and becoming like a preseason all American. Everybody knows who he is, especially in the state of Connecticut. You can, you can kind of tell he hasn't really lost that. Just like he's a big goofy kid too. Like that's still there. You want to keep that as long as you can. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, a lot of, a lot, a lot of his ties that remain to the Bristol community help keep him grounded, help keep him who he is. I think his passion for and dedication to some things outside of basketball, particularly fishing, just keep him again grounded in who he is. You know, basketball is a huge part of his life. It's going to be an even bigger part of his future. It's going to make him a lot of money. It's already brought him uh, on the brink of the world's stage. But he really is a kid who just likes to hop in his kayak at sunrise alone, cruise down the river and, and fish, you know. And the other thing that that's interesting about him is well before he became famous for basketball, he stood out in a crowd just because of his size. So he grew up um, anywhere he went with his family being asked, hey, how tall are you? Hey, do you play basketball? Like um, imagine dealing with that all the time. And and never once that anyone knows ever kind of snapping, you know, like his grandmother made him a shirt at one point when he was like 15 or 16 years old that said something like I am six foot eight. My shoe, my shoe size is 17. And yes, I do play basketball. I mean, that's got to get old. And now now with the burgeoning fame and the additional photo ops and everyone wanting, wanting a selfie. And in the day and age of social media, it's not easy to be in the position that he's carved out for himself it's rewarding um i know he loves what he's accomplished and loves what he's pursuing but all of this it's not to say it doesn't come without some kind of burden you know yeah so not only do you have this whole small town kid gets famous comes back to school narrative when it comes to donovan clinging you also have the mother passed away when he was i believe 16 years old right um, and that's still a big void in his life. And I thought you handled that portion of it really well. The, the one, there was a scene that stuck out to me more than anything else when he was, uh, once they realized that he was going, the, the, his mom was heading to the hospital for the last time. He's sitting there petting his dog. He didn't want to watch her get into the yeah. ambulance. It just, that, that part of it as well is something that, um, it just, it's a whole nother layer of this, this character that is Donovan Klingon. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Um, some of it's really sad, of course, and um, has helped, has kind of shaped him as a person. Um, I thought his his grandmother, um, Debbie Perini, was was really insightful in in looking back on the experiences of Donovan, her grandson, and her granddaughter Olivia. And they're very proud of Olivia, also, by the way, who's a, a freshman at, at Clemson and was a a good student at Bristol Central and a, and a volleyball player. Um, but Debbie said, looking back, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember her exact words, but something like, I don't know that they would have been as successful 
had their mom not passed away. So I think that speaks to the power and the, the importance of the two of them having grieved and having also, though, been inspired by mm-hmm. uh, a woman who, by all accounts, was, was really impressive and really kind. You know, When you are... Uh, so I've never covered a team on a beat when I've written stories, not quite like this, but when you, when I've covered teams and, and written some of these features, it's been like you, you swoop in, you're there for like a day or two, you get whatever you can. And then you fly back out. It, it, it it's gotta be different when you are kind of there every single day. Right. Like I, I just, how do you, how do you handle writing that? And then knowing like the next day you got to go see these guys. And and maybe it was a little bit different because you were a columnist for a while. And, you know, if you write something negative about Jim Calhoun, it probably toughens you up a little bit going in and having to see him the next day. But is there, how do you process that as a journalist? It's time to talk about vaulted. First of all, vaulted is an app that allows you to participate in daily cash prize pools without an entry fee. Uh, V L T E D. It's the place to store your own bold predictions forever. And by using the Vaulted Challenge feature, you can prove you're smarter than your friends. So go download the Vaulted app. Give it a try for free. Vaulted is spelled V-L-T-E-D. And it's the app to challenge your friends, store your predictions, join daily cash prize pools without any entry fee. Download Vaulted today. All right, so I went in there and I'm going to challenge you guys. And my prediction is that Kentucky does not win 25 games this season. Um, they were a lock to win 25 every year the first 10 years. I think they did it may, maybe eight or nine of Cal's first 10 years other than the NIT year. Uh, last few, they, they haven't done it. Obviously, they are really bad in, in 21. Uh, then a couple of years ago when they lost to St. Peter's, they won 26. Last year, they won 22 and 12. Uh, where do you guys stand on this? How... Doug, are you are you accepting my challenge and, and saying that Kentucky's going to win uh, at least 25 games this year? I, I agree with you. I think it's more likely than not they don't win 25 games, right? Because because remember, like you're throwing some freshman guards out there against yeah. Kansas, Miami, Carolina. It's more likely than not they don't win 25 games. I still think you have a very good year. I don't think they win more yeah. than 25 games. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, I mean, it depends on the situation, but, you know, like I was a columnist for a little while. I was a beat writer 
for the Hartford Current from 2005 to 2011. Um, there was a there was a four or five year stretch stretch where I focused on feature writing at the Current, and wasn't much involved with UConn basketball other than parachuting into a game here and there to write like a, a sidebar type of story. Back on the UConn scene as a columnist, um, left the Current to take this job at Hearst, which is much more which is uh, which gives me a lot of freedom to do some things that do mix in some opinion. I have a lot of leeway, thankfully, uh, but it's largely based on long form journalism and, and feature writing. Um, so I'm not like the hot take guy. And that's not my strong suit either. Like uh, I, I was never one that was like, um, I have this opinion and it's an absolute and there's no gray area. You know, um, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm um, also not a huge fan of pretending I know more than I do or pretending I know more than the central figures involved when you're, when you're trying to either discuss a topic, team, situation, or life, uh, you know? So look, I just, the way I go about doing what I do is just to learn as much as I can and kind of just present that in a readable manner for the readers. Um, I think um, what I enjoy most and what I probably do best is understanding people and writing about people. So I was very much uh, in my comfort zone writing about Donovan as, as you know, uh, as I, as I would be any, any other player as I also enjoyed writing about Alex Caravan recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Klingon piece was unique in, in its, in its function and it, in its purpose and in, in its length. Um, but I think you're always just trying to learn no matter what type of piece you're trying to do, you're trying to learn uh, and inform. And sometimes that's as simple as being at a game um, and describing the scene. Other times it's as complicated as spending four or five months getting to know someone and writing everything you can about, about their life. Um, but I think the, the, the main approach is always the same. What can I tell these people about this game and, or what can I tell these people about this person? So if you stay true to that and whatever comes under that umbrella, that's what I try to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, you also have a story up on Cam Spencer. Uh, I think it went up maybe yesterday, but uh he's he's an, an interesting character as well the the, uh, the practice that i was at he punted a ball with his left foot not his right foot that almost went out of uh out of gamble pavilion um see that so. those those are the details that i love that's that's good yeah. color right there yeah. but yeah he's a fascinating guy himself and he's he's funny because you know he gets to yukon and i'm familiar with him for having been a good player at Rutgers. but i look mm-hmm. back into his history i was like oh i didn't I either didn't realize i didn't remember he played at loyola then you then it like anyone when they join UConn, you start to look like, all right, what else is going on with this kid? Oh, he's got a brother who was also at Loyola. Oh, but wait a minute, his brother was like this kick-ass lacrosse player. Oh, his brother was like the best lacrosse player in the country. Interesting. And now his brother's a professional basketball player. Yeah. So that's another uh fascinating family. Yeah, he uh He's one of the most intense um, and as hard as on himself dudes as I've ever seen. I think he punched a chair like four times and uh, asked the staff. And like he does it every single day in practice. Like it wasn't just he was having a bad day and missed two shots and he kicked the ball. Like that is a everyday thing for him. And it's like, dude, maybe maybe you and Hurley together. That's not necessarily the best combination. Um, all right. I, I got a funny. question for you. And, uh, and I hope it doesn't get you in too much trouble. I want you to break down covering Dan Hurley versus covering Jim Calhoun versus covering Gino Ariema. Oh man, they're all imagine all three are pretty intense. They're great. They're they're all I mean, what more could you ask for? I mean, Calhoun could be combative. Calhoun was great at what he did 
and a very successful person uh, for the same reason he why he was a dip, could be a difficult person. And I and I liked Jim Calhoun and he was fair to me. Um, but boy, did he love a fight, you know? And I'm not Mr. Controversy. I don't walk into press conferences looking to stir stuff up. But Calhoun read every single week. And this was like even pre-internet. Um, I mean, not necessarily pre-internet, but it was before before uh, every coach was just hopping on Twitter and, and had access like that to every word. He would have every story printed out uh, for him. Um, so he knew what was being written at every time and and uh, considered it very important. And if he disagreed with any phraseology, you would hear about it, which you appreciated, but it wasn't always the most comfortable thing in the world. But <laughs> again, I go back to like just bringing some color to what you write too. I mean, the guy, the guy was so colorful uh, in language and, and in body language. Um, very talkative. Never, he never left you with nothing right. Jim Calhoun once walked into a post-game press conference and I think spoke for eight plus minutes as an opening statement and walked out and, and I believe gave an opportunity for people to ask questions, but it was just kind of like, well, he just covered everything. <laughs> so uh, he left the room, but didn't leave us with nothing to write. I remember, nor did he necessarily leave any questions unanswered. Because he had hit on everything. Um, Gino um, is to me. Were, were you in the room for either of uh, Jim's favorite, uh, Jim Cowan's famous um, press conferences, the, uh, the not a dime back one, or uh, the, one. what was it? The, I fucked up. I took Karan Butler and a Mecca Okafor. Yeah, that was the Gomes press conference. I believe that was 04, the championship year. I was I wasn't in the I was not in the room for that. I was in the room for not a dime back. Yeah. Which was it was just an awkward Can you just talk me around. through what that was what that was like in there? We've all seen the everyone's seen the video at this point, but it's it, what was it like being in that room? With yeah, the, the I mean the press conference questions. I truthfully I don't even I'd have to look back. I don't remember who they played that day and I don't remember whether South he was Florida. satisfied. I remember it was but South that, Florida. They beat South Florida. Okay. Okay. I remember it just being a kind of a run of the mill press conference if there was such a thing with uh Jim Calhoun because you never knew what direction they were gonna go. Um <clears throat> when all of a sudden he was asked the question that's been revisited on on YouTube millions of times over since and um I remember uh, like wondering what was going on with the question and then remember uh, Calhoun getting very defensive and, and angry. And, um, you know, truthfully there was, there's, you're human too. So like, if I remember what I was thinking, part of me anyway, at the time was like, I don't need this right now. You know, like, again, if you, if you, if your memory's uh, better than mine and you, and you're accurate, they played South Florida. I probably just was, uh, you know, appreciating the fact that it was a rather uncomplicated day. They probably won that game by 15 points. I could write my game story as the beat writer and get on with my life. You know, I didn't realize uh, what was, was, what was happening at the time. Um, so, you know, th those are really my only rec recollections of that day. Yeah. I, I remember there was one guy uh, in the, cause he said something along the lines of if any of these guys would ask these questions, I just remember there was one voice you hear in the back saying, oh, would you please? And then. They, yeah, they, you know, that was Phil Chartis. It was? It was Phil Chartis who was writing for the uh, Journal Inquirer at the time. And obviously that? in the SID for the last 10, 11 years and has, has since moved on. How about and that? And he was sitting right next to me. Yeah. How about that? Phil, that's his, uh, that's his claim <laughs> to fame now. You're yeah. right, Phil. One good for you, man. <laughs> um, all right. So just real quick, just a couple of questions. Like, where do you stand on this UConn team? Um, overall, I mean, are you, 
They're obviously coming off a national championship. They're ranked in the top 10 everywhere. Uh, yeah. What are you, what are you kind of expecting to see out of them? Sky's the limit. I mean, I, but I'm, you know, there's, there's multiple teams you could say that for out there, but I think all you can hope for at this time of year in the sport is to be one of eight or 12 teams that you can look at and realistically say, yeah, they can win a national championship. And I, I think UConn's one of them. You know, there's plenty of teams out there that can win a national championship. But I think UConn's one of the six or 10 best teams in the country at an, at an early glance. And so you expect them to go relatively deep in the NCAA tournament. And then once you get to that stage, if you click, like we saw that a team can click at the right time last year, sure, it can happen. Um, more specifically, I just see a lot of depth. I think they have shooting for days. You know, I think with I think all that shooting also just creates a nice balance. There's also a balance in experience and youthful youthfulness too, with a guy like Castle um, and some experienced players. But I think you have enough outside shooters to create some room inside for Castle in one way and some room inside for Klingon in another. Um, just to kind of come full circle too, the Klingon basketball piece, which we haven't touched touched much on, is is going to be interesting this year, right? Because mm-hmm. Uh, the equation is not as simple as double as minutes, double as production. Like Donovan knows exactly what it looks like. It feels like to check into a game with a, with his gas tank, hundred percent full and ready to go shake things up and kick some ass. And he knows what it's like to line up against a guy who might look a little gassed. He also knows and will know more what it's like to be out there on the court gassed and, uh, and have a guy from the other team check in at 250 pounds, ready to throw a shoulder into his chest. So there's going to be a lot more of the latter this season. So that is going to be a really interesting development uh, in my mind. Uh, what, how efficient Donovan is. I think he'll make a major stride. I think he's a really good player. I think he'll be dominant. Um, but I think, you know, that's not to say that occasionally there won't be foul trouble or some real, you know, growing pains along the way too. Yeah. Who knows I- that? I've said a, a bunch of times this offseason that I think the key to their season more than anything else is the development of Samson Johnson. And can he Absolutely. be a guy that gives you like 15 great minutes? You know, because the my big thing with Klingon is he did the foul trouble didn't matter. Like endurance didn't matter. You come in, you go as hard as you can, balls to the wall for three or four minutes at a time, do that three times during a game, and that's your job. Now you yep. got to play 26, 27. You can't get in foul trouble. You can't, you got to be able to kind of last until the end of the game. So what you can get from Samson Johnson to me will be the, the, the determining factor in whether or not this is like a top 10 kind of a team or like, do they actually have a chance to repeat? I think you make a great point. It's huge in, in giving them another um, option and another piece, just Samson in and of himself, but it's, it's a domino effect on what Klingon is capable of is huge because as we've just talked about those, those three or four minute bursts now become seven or nine minute stretches where you have to sustain a certain level of play. And that's a huge adjustment for him. It's a huge opportunity too. And, and you know, he's looking good. Yeah. That's uh, the three things I constantly hear um, coming out of UConn is that Samson looks good. Solo ball looks good. Jaden Ross looks good. And, and that's yeah. kind of like, I don't know if that's just what their talking points are. I don't know if they have like, all right, this is what we need to leak to the media this week. But that's, <laughs> I hear those three things constantly. Yeah. Yeah. You hear those things. And, and Clay, it's unfortunate with Klingon's uh, setback with his foot injury. So we'll see um, 
you know, how we, I guess he's going to ramp it up this week and see what's going on next Monday night. And so we'll see that you can't judge him too harshly on this early portion of the season. Um, even if he's hundred percent healthy, we have to take into account that he probably hasn't worked out cardiovascular cardiovascularly to the extent that he would have hoped. Um, so, you know, you just, you just hope for Klingon and for UConn as a whole, you have something that looks like it's taken another major leap forward come February into March and then you roll the dice, you know? Yep. Mike. All right. Uh, what else do you have coming in the pipeline? What else can you promote? What do you have any other features coming down the road? Um, well, we just got through a, a I appreciate you mentioning, um, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on to discuss the Klingon piece and I appreciate being able to uh, mention the caravan piece and, and Cam Spencer and some other stuff to be honest, to be honest with you, Rob, I have some things in the tank that I forget off the top of my head. If they ran now, if they didn't, the, the, the ramp up to the season is, it's interesting because some of the planning is so long-term and you stockpile stories and then they're rolled out at the appropriate time and, um, or, or, or different, different times, you know? Um, but look, I'm always just, I'm, I'm looking to kind of personalize the UConn basketball experience. I work closely with Dave Borges, our beat writer, who's more of the everyday nuts and bolts basketball, uh, team stuff. Uh, and I'm able to get into some basketball stuff, just like Dave's able to get into some feature writing, but I'm more on the, uh, personal side and in the story uh, in the business of, of telling stories. So I would hope people just follow along for uh, trying to get to know these players better and these people better. That's really what it's well, all about. Well, you, you did a very good job uh, personalizing Donovan Klingon, um, Cam Spencer, Alex Caravan, and Nico Gallette at, uh, at, at Sacred Heart. You got it. We got to give my player. guy Anthony Latina some love. Sacred Heart favorite to win the NEC, according to the Almanac. So, Mike, listen, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for jumping on. And uh, I'll just sit here and hope that you can handle a day to day with Dave Borges, which is probably not the, <laughs> the easiest thing in the world. It's great. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks, man.